30, 1 through 8. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. Sorry. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, guys. Most of you know me, but my name is Johnny. So happy to be with you here this morning. Sorry, we weren't able to be here last week. You take your Bibles and go to Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. Who here likes history? I mean, not like, not like the history class where you have to memorize all the dates and you're like, oh man, how am I, but who here actually likes history? Okay, what, 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 either what part of history or what about history uh, do you like? I know we're kind of jumping the gum in the questions here, but. Okay, Napoleonic War. Okay, cool. Anybody else? People's stories in history? Yeah. Things haven't changed a whole lot throughout history. Did you have one, Mark? Uh, our history of the American Revolution. Ah, Hamilton's good for good for that. Nice. Well, I'm I'm a fan of history. Again, not the memorizing dates thing, but uh, for me, the th the period that I like most often. You can ask Jenny. I think I've watched every documentary out there on it. Uh, is World War II? I I really love watching that period of history, partially because I have some connections to it, uh, with both my grandfathers serving uh, during that time period. Um, you know, when I was around 10, um, we took a very unique visit when I was a family. We normally would go visit family, but it was always, you know, short, quick, and right back to home and stuff like that. But we went out and, and we visited my grandpa and grandma rail out in Montana, uh, which, was, which was very unique because we hadn't visited them before. Um, you, you know, it's funny. Uh, I think I had one flannel shirt at the time and I made my mom wash it every night so I could wear the flannel shirt the next day. Cause I don't know, flannel mountain West, they just, they fit together. Right. Um, anyway, during that visit, I was introduced to what my grandfather did during world war II. He had like one of the only like movies he had in his house was a documentary on World War II, and most specifically, the Pacific Theater, because that's where my grandfather served. Um, 
you know, I would ask my grandfather a bit about it, and honestly, it kind of felt like he was guarded sometimes. Um, you know, I was in, I, when I watched the documentary, I was just entranced by it. The, the bravery, the camaraderie I saw, the, uh, the selflessness, and also, like, the pursuit of victory uh, through overwhelming odds on, on, on everybody. I mean, not just, not just America, but all the forces. Like, it just, it, I, was, I was hooked, uh, and I wanted to hear more, and I wanted to learn more. During one of those times, I asked my grandfather about some of the details because he served on a destroyer in the Pacific. Um, and I asked him some of the details, and, and he's like, you know what, Johnny? I really don't want to get into it a whole lot, but I do want to tell you this. Um, the one thing I can teach you here is that regardless of, of who you meet and what they look like, respect people and love them. Um, have sorrow for what's happened in your past, if it's sorrowful, um, because you can't always change uh, the past, but you can do your part to change the future. You know, it's kind of funny that I actually remember that because I don't remember a whole lot. I have a very short-term memory. You can ask Jenny. Um, she's like, don't you remember that? And, no, 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 I, I, I don't. Uh, so it's really funny that I remember that, but it, I, this actually came to mind as I was going through this passage because history is a huge part of what Isaiah is writing at in here. Um, you know, we've gone through all of this this morning, and so in uh, all, of, all of Isaiah through the last several <laughs> months here, um, and in, in our passage this morning, there's a lot of admonition and encouragement that is based on history. And for the people of Israel, it started really with the Exodus because um, there is a, a history of oppression embedded in the national identity of Israel. Um, they grew up in oppression. And when they finally came out and they were, had the victory and they came into the promised land and they won all these victories, again, there was oppression. Oppression from without, oppression from within. So really, there's, oppression is built into the history of the Israelites. And throughout the good years, they entered the promised land, but in most recent memory here from Isaiah, there's destruction and exile. And burned into their mind was their national faith in God, but then there was a misunderstanding of who he is. And a, 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 a huge wrestling with if God, if you're like this, then why is all this stuff happening? So, so let me just kind of briefly recap this. And honestly, guys, if you want a brief, if you want a recap on the Isaiah, go to YouTube, type in "Read Scripture Isaiah." Bible Project has some great videos out, and they do an amazing job of just recapping um, a whole book and also giving you like highlights, lowlights, and and key themes in there. So, um, I would highly recommend that as you. As you think through a lot of this, go back and watch, go and watch some of those videos. So let me just recap where we're at in Isaiah. In Isaiah 1 through 5, we see a lot of judgment and hope. Uh, the pronouncement of judgment uh, for rebellion, idolatry, and injustice. But through that, God is putting this as a purifying fire for his people. Judgment throughout Isaiah is never the end game in and of itself. Judgment always leads to something else. You never see judgment all by itself. You always see judgment accompanied with hope. All right, so it's never, never all by itself, okay? Uh, and so then through one through five, we begin to see some teasers of a new Jerusalem or the righteous remnant, a time when we will see a new kingdom of shalom for all the nations, not just for one nation, but for all the nations. Then in, in, in six, we see Isaiah's commission where he's told, preach till no one listens and everything is laid waste. 
And by this time, we are starting to see the roller coaster ride of the Israelites feeling the oppression and destruction and then seeing hope and blessing to rebellion and, and injustice, back to oppression and destruction, back to hope. Um, but in the midst of this, we see that, that Israel is, um, we see the hope that Israel is just a chopped down tree, but from this stump will come a righteous seed, a holy seed from this stump. And then through uh, Isaiah 7 through 12, I, uh, Assyria will destroy. Uh, this is particular to King Ahaz, but God says, I will rescue. Um, Ahaz has no faith, and so God says, you don't, you don't believe me? Fine, I'm gonna send you a sign anyway. Uh, Emmanuel will come. And he will mark the start of a new freedom of, from oppression and injustice. He is the new branch from Jesse's stump, empowered by the Spirit to bring justice, shalom, and righteousness. And with this Emmanuel, we see this idea of comfort and joy and celebration. You know, I... I when I went to school, we, we did big choir stuff, and so we would sing Handel's Messiah. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Handel's Messiah is, uh, the story behind it is great. He wrote it in just a short period of time, but it, it's so incredibly beautiful, and it's all built on Isaiah's uh, prophecies. But um, that's one of the reasons I had Isaiah 40 uh, read this morning, because that has just been flooding through my mind and actually playing on my music stream all the last two weeks. Uh, comfort ye my people. Here's the idea that comfort will come. Um, but again, uh, we're, we're right back to it because in Isaiah 13 through 23, we see judge, judgment. Uh, the fall of Babylon, Israel's neighbors. It's not just you, Israel. Anyone who lifts themselves up against God will be brought down to the grave uh, is the idea through those chapters. Uh, verse 20, uh, chapters 27 through 24 through 27, these lofty cities will come to ruin, but God's new Jerusalem is the counter to them. It is full of God's blessing and righteousness for all the nations. And so the scope of Isaiah's message doesn't just reside solely with Israel, it goes out. This idea of God's blessing and kingdom of shalom going to all the nations is embedded throughout Isaiah. All right, we don't just see that in certain parts, it's all throughout there. 28 through 39, God turns Isaiah's focus back to Jerusalem, it's a rise and fall. Hezekiah's remembrance and trust leads to deliverance over their enemies, but trust in men and materials, which he turns right around and shows all of Egypt, hey, look at all this good stuff I've got, and then Israel is brought low. Uh, showing off to Babylon leads to ruin and destruction. And Hezekiah's response through this is not, a, hey, I am so sorry, God, please forgive me of my sin. His response to this is, well, at least nothing bad's gonna happen in my time. Nothing bad's going to happen in my time. And so, at the end of 39, this attitude is perhaps symbolic for all of the Israelites. What are you doing for me now, God? That becomes the attitude. What, are, what have you done for me recently, God? What have you done for me recently? And so, chapter 40 then starts this roller, restarts the roller coaster ride with an announcement of hope, comfort to my people. 41 through 47, Israel wrestles with their short term memory and the lingering effects of exile, both physical and psychological, with the rebuilding, um, but also their lack of faith that Je Jehovah will provide, that Jehovah will protect. And so they accuse God and then they, they ponder are the heathen gods actually stronger than our God? And so, uh, in 48, Israel is full of rebellion, lacking faith. And God, again, steps in and says, 
you have no faith, not a problem. Just like King Ahaz, you have no faith, well, I'm going to send a sign. And now here God says, you have no faith? Okay, I'm going to do something about this in 48. And then 49, we're introduced to God's servant who will stand in the place of Israel. The accusation that Mark covered the week before of you've forgotten us is answered with a rhetorical question that says, I will never forget you. Remember what Mark said? Like a woman who has the, her children imprinted on her hands, I will never forget you. I could never forget you. And so in 50, Israel again, why did you send us away? And, and God says, you're the ones that departed from me, but guess what? I'm going to bring you back. I will do this work for you. And so we come to our passage this morning. The idea of comfort is, is, is flowing through our passage this morning. And with the emotional roller coaster of God's judgment, blessing, and hope, our big idea is this today. And you can just live, leave the big idea up there. Comfort and joy are inextricably linked to the salvation and supremacy of our God. Let me say that one more time. Comfort and joy are inextricably linked to the salvation and sovereignty of our God. So as we get into our passage this morning, um, I feel this is like sliding down. Is this? <laughs> Mark, there's a tall joke in there somewhere. <laughs> I'll just preach from the knees here today. Oh, thanks, bro. Sorry about that, guys. Brief reprieve. All right, so Isaiah 51 this morning is where we find ourselves. <laughs> so are you saying that this one will keep falling down on me? Okay. All right. The only problem is, there we go. I actually don't need that. Thanks, babe. All right, so Isaiah 51. All that, here we are. So after, after going through all this um, judgment and hope, 51, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and the glory from which you were dung, dug. Sorry. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah who, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. And so here... God's going to turn their attention to history, which is kind of why I asked the question in the beginning. Because history teaches us a lot. Before we get too much farther, let me just pray real quick. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us that does not end, does not give up. Thank you for a love that carries us through, that gives us hope and joy in the midst of suffering, and gives us hope and joy in the midst of blessing. So help our eyes to be fixed on you and our hearts to be ready to worship you. In your name we pray, amen. God's comfort and blessing have been there from the beginning is what he starts this, uh, the chapter out with. I've been there from the beginning. Have you forgotten? Look to Abraham. Wasn't he just one person when I started my relationship with you? And look at you now. Do I owe you more than one? And how many of you are in the righteous remnant? There's good news here. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her deserts like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her and thanksgiving and the voice of song. God's comfort and blessing 
have been there from the beginning. And when you're in the midst of suffering, when you're in the midst of pain, that's the first thing you forget, right? History disappears from your vision because all that's in front of you is the pain that you're facing. The stress, the hardship, that's all you see in front of you. And so God's comfort and joy starts with history. We remember the goodness of our God. And so he says in verse four, give attention to me, my people, give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out for me and I will set my justice as a light for the peoples and my righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me and for my arm they wait. Give attention, my justice and my salvation will endure. It's not your responsibility. It's not because you're so strong that you bring justice and equity to the world. It's because of me that justice and equity come to this world. So give attention. My justice will go out for a light to the peoples. And so lift your eyes, verse 6, to the heavens and look to the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish like smoke and the earth wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismayed will never be broken in the midst of this roller coaster they're like god where are you why have you left me alone why have you left us this way why are we being oppressed again and again don't you care man maybe these other gods are better than you and god's going to stop them right there hold on my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be broken. And so listen to me. Listen up. You who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the mouth, for the moth, will eat them up like a garment and worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. You who have sought righteousness. Now, not all the people in Israel at that point in time did see righteousness or seek after righteousness at that point. But God is saying, you who actually want to see righteousness, just all you need to do is look. I've been here all along. My justice and my righteousness, my salvation will endure. And so here we see an apparent reply of the righteous to God in verse eight, uh, verse 9. Awake, awake, and put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab into pieces and who pierced the dragon? Rahab and the dragon kind of have an idea of, uh, of uh, the oppression in Egypt. Um, I'm, um, Psalm 89, verse 10, and Isaiah 30, verse 7 refer to Ahab as... Um, as, as Egypt here. So he's not talking about Rahab as the scarlet cord uh, in here, just so you are aware. Was it not you, verse 10, who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea away for the redeemed to pass over and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So, so here we kind of have a, a response from the righteous remnant uh, to God. And it's kind of a rhetoric set of questions that they have for God, bringing up in their idea this idea of deliverance that they've seen from oppression. And the, the, the exodus 
motif, the Exodus verbiage is just is dripping throughout this. All right, so first, they're like, God, please, you need to help us. You've done it before. We know you can do it again. And when you do that, the ransomed will return and Zion will come with singing just like we did before. So God, please wake up and bring your salvation here. And as they try to remind God of, of what he's done, if you look in the next verse, God's like, I never went anywhere. Did you forget? I never went anywhere. So in verse 12, it says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of man who dies? Why should you be afraid of oppression? Why should you be afraid of exile? I am he who comforts you. And you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens, who laid the foundations of the earth. And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of your oppressors when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released and he shall not die and go down to the pit. Neither shall his bread be lacking for I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar. I am the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is his name and I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. We kind of see Job in here as well, where God's like, you think that you can remind me of what I've done for you? Let me just take you another step back. Who laid the foundations of the earth? Who spreads out the sea and makes the waves to roar? Have you forgotten who I am? We're, uh, we're going through a, a book um, with our kids right now, uh, 40 Names of God. Uh, and it was really cool because as I'm working through this, there are, there are two very powerful names of God that are linked together uh, in this passage here. One is El Nakuma, the God of comfort. And the other is Jehovah Sabaoth. Do you remember what Jehovah Sabaoth means? The Lord of Heaven's Armies. Both of these are linked together. You see it right here. Uh, verse 12, I, I am he who comforts you. I am he who comforts you. El Nakuma, the God of all comfort. And then as he works it through and he says, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? For I am the Lord, verse 15, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's armies. Have you forgotten that you are my people? As soon as they begin to ask questions, why aren't you, awake, oh God, why aren't you delivering us? He brings them right back. This is who I am. Don't forget. This is what I have done. This is what I can do. And this is who I am to you. I am your comforter and I am your salvation. And so, in verse 17, God turns it back around on them. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. You can see, almost see a little bit of sarcasm coming from God here. Me wake up? 
You wake up. What do you mean me wake up? You wake up. Now, verse 17, he doesn't dismiss what they're talking about, okay? And I think this is really, really powerful to understand because as you, as you think through this, uh, actually a lot of what I grew up, it was very dismissive of suffering. Well, just forget about your suffering, okay? Just forget about it. You need to, it's all about faith. You need to just forget it and move on. But God doesn't, God doesn't do that to him, to them. Verse 17, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, for you have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You have suffered the wrath of the Lord. There is none, um, I'm sorry, you who have drunk to the dregs of the bowl, the cup of staggering, literally the, God, the cup of God's wrath have left you like a drunk. You are unable to stand from the weight of this cup, from the bitterness of it. There is none to guide her among all the sons that she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons that she has brought up. These two things have happened to you, and who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword, who will comfort you? You have suffered and been devastated by the cup of God's wrath, by your own sinful choices. And what's left of your greatness and legacy? There is nothing but destruction and devastation. There is nothing but famine and sword. The greatness of Israel's history is gone. The affliction of your rebellion leaves your strength and hope as though it were prey trapped in a net. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, you who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand this cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you will drink no more. So hear this, God says, I am going to take up my own cause for you. I am going to take this cup out of your hand. I will remove it from you. The messianic foreshadowing is, again, just flooding this passage. And I'm looking forward to next week uh, when Mark goes into the suffering servant in Isaiah um, 53. But he says in verse 23, I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over, that we may have your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. Those who would trample over you, those who would oppress you, I'm going to take the cup of my wrath, the cup of staggering that has left you unable to stand and I'm going to give it to your oppressor. Is that good news? <laughs> Is that good news that God would say, you have tasted my wrath, but now I'm going to take it away from you and I'm going to give it to those who would mock you who would stand on you. And so we come to chapter 52. Awake, awake, and put on strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Then be seated, O Jerusalem, and loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So awake, because the Lord's salvation is at hand. This kind of starts like four successive imperative, uh, imperatives throughout these two verses. Seven in total um, through the beginning of 52, calling Israel to cast aside their exile mentality. Wake up. 
cast aside this mentality of exile because my salvation is here, urging them to prepare for the salvation of the Lord. And it sounds just like Exodus of old. Okay, because what did they do in Exodus when they were getting ready to leave? Did they burden themselves with a lot of stuff? No. They, he's like, be ready to go. Borrow from your neighbors so you can plunder Egypt. The same idea. Loose the bonds from your neck. Shake the dust and arise. O captive daughter of Zion. Verse 3. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and shall, you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here? Declares the Lord. Seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, the rulers of these oppressing nations, the rulers will wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised, and therefore my people will know my name. And therefore in that day they'll know, they will know that it is I who speak. Here I am. There is no mutual benefaction here between um, Israel's oppressors and God. Okay? God doesn't owe these oppressors anything. All right? So it's not like God is taking the oppressor's side apart from Israel. That's, that's what he's saying here. It's not like I've taken sides against you. I sold, there, you were sold for nothing. So it's, it's nothing to me to take you back. He owes the oppressing nations nothing and so has no need of payment or no need of permission to take back his people. And again, this whole idea of the suffering that God brings is a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. God wants his people to know, I haven't taken sides against you. They're not giving me anything. I am getting nothing from them. You are my people and my salvation is at hand. Okay, and then in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice and together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. So break forth together into singing you waste places in Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people and he has redeemed Jerusalem like a messenger bearing good news of a victory won. The sound of the feet of the messenger of the good news is sweet. It is a welcome sound to a city in fear, a city in anxiety, a burdened people. And the watchmen on the walls proclaim the good news and like a wave it washes through every corner of Jerusalem so that even the waste places are filled with singing. I'm a I'm kind of a Christmas guy. I love Christmas. Jenny has to hold me back from getting a Christmas tree er too early, um, which is why I love listening to Handel's Messiah. Um, but also in that, one of my favorite Christmas movies is Miracle on 34th Street. Um, and you know when, when they're in the courtroom and they're waiting for the judge to make his final decision and the judge says, case dismissed, Santa Claus is free. And then you get the, the guard who pokes his head out the window and says, case closed, Santa Claus free. And then you get like this wave of people who are like, Whoa! okay, that's what it looks like. 
When the good news of God's salvation comes to his people, there is a celebration of hope and comfort that just washes over the people of Zion. And so all the nations, verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. All the nations are beginning to taste of Abraham's blessing. That God would bless the world with this good news. God hasn't forgotten. And so depart from here. Go out and touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. You shall not go out in haste. You shall not go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you and the Lord God of Israel will be your rear guard. Again, Exodus motif all all throughout this passage. And so you righteous remnant, you who have seen the handiwork and the salvation of God go out. The passion of God's people for his kingdom starts with a call to action. Living lives that are pure, but also bringing this pure justice to the world. God will do what he's been saying. He will do the work. He will right all the wrongs. He will make his name known. And here is that call. This is a call to God's people. Remember that you are never alone. Because God's comfort and joy is just inextricably linked to the salvation and supremacy of our God. Now let me just kind of bring this back to us a little bit. We all come with history. We all come with stories. We all come with burdens, pressures, anxiety, fear, oppression. And I don't want you to think that my only admonition to you is to forget because God's salvation is at hand. Your history, your past, your pain, your suffering. It's something that God wants to use to show you his glory. He wants to reveal to you the beauty of his holiness. And in that, then, there is comfort and joy. And so I want to go through some questions this morning because I think as we work through this, we need to bring it home to ourselves. Where did the microphone? Oh, you got it back there? Great. Okay, so my questions are are right up here this morning. What or who do we turn to for comfort and joy? Because through this, the Israelites did turn to someone else for comfort and joy. Ahaz, Hezekiah, they all turned to others for comfort and joy. The the people of Israel, maybe these other gods, are indeed the, the most powerful gods. But who do we turn to for comfort and joy? Bringing that on a, a high national level down to a personal level. Who do we turn to for comfort and joy? Or what do we turn to for comfort and joy? I sort of turn to like human stories like podcasts and books and things that sort of like expand my perspective on maybe what's happening in the world and then I focus on those individual 
smaller, more inspiring stories, and mm-hmm. it makes me feel like a part of like a more inspiring humanity, I guess. Okay. We draw strength from other people's good news from their wrestling. Yeah, Liz. Um, I felt like this question was built for me. Um, say Netflix, right? <laughs> Entertainment. Um, I think social media. I think anything that can provide a distraction for me from the pain that I feel like I'm in. And I think sometimes that happens like so subtly that I don't realize that that's what I'm doing. Um, rather than sitting with kind of the pain and trying to understand what that like, suffering does. But I think it's like, those small everyday vices that I will totally turn to. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Oh, you have something you go to there, buddy? Oh, Julie first. Okay. I think um, God's good gift of food and drink um, become an end in themselves for comfort instead of being something that we can use to rejoice in his gifts, but they just become an end and are abused. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What do you think, buddy? What do you go to? My for- mom or dad. Okay. My mom or dad. Aw. I think I um, turn to my own ability to sort things out and figure them out. And then that's a tyrant to me because when I can't, I'm letting myself and others down. Uh, so it's a poor source yeah. of comfort. Yeah. Jackie? Oh, sorry. I find uh, joy and comfort through my grandchildren. Mm-hmm because they love me unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm sad or down about anything, I feel like I need to be around them mm-hmm. because of the sweetness and the joy that they give me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the correct answer to this question should be... <laughs> 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 I mean, come on. Right? We should all find joy and comfort in God. But yeah. Because we've, we're fallen, we're full of sin, we have our own different ways. And I'm an odd person. I like to find comfort in very physical activity. So gym, hiking, gun range, you know, mm-hmm. anything I can do to make me feel like I'm a strong, independent person gives me a ton of comfort, which is odd because normally people look to others, but mm-hmm. I look to myself, and that's should be. That's, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Everything kind of seems to be trailing towards one of one of two things: either escape, getting away from it, or I'm gonna I'm gonna bull my way through this. I'm gonna make this thing happen. And really, that's essentially what we do to get away from God. You know, either we try to escape the pain and just ignore it or move on from it, or we try to fix it ourselves, do more, try harder. Uh, through there. And I guess then it leads us to the nu- next question. Pretty s- straightforward answer, but l- tease it out a little bit. Will they let you down? And what does that make you feel? Or what, how, what does that make you believe as you wrestle with that? Okay, go ahead, Todd. <laughs> um, I agree with what you said, Rob. I often turn to myself, you know, and my ability to fix things. And when I let myself down, I tend to go, well, that problem's stupid. I shouldn't have to solve it anyway. <laughs> so it's just like taking my game and going home, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. I love what Julie said about God's good gifts because I think any time a secondary thing becomes a first thing, mm-hmm. it, it, it isn't that anything that's been mentioned is bad. It's the place that it has. And so I think that's the question is the ordering of our loves. Yeah. Um, I can sure identify with that. Yeah. Yeah. Glow? I know oftentimes when I, uh, we've been through difficult times, I, I tend to run to other authors, good authors of good books. I, I did a lot of reading during a very difficult time. I tried to think my way through it sometimes, and and that's the shaky ground. You know, you have to really get down with the Lord and, and seek his comfort um, rather than thinking your way through it. It really only masks the system, the, the struggle. <laughs> that and chocolate and then you end up overweight (laughs) I think the other thing Johnny is that when they do let us down and we haven't been going to God along with those other things then when people or they can't be there at some moment then it seems like God isn't there because like Israel we're saying well where are you God and he's he has been there but I just haven't been timely going to him so there's that sense so what do I do now because the things and the chocolate or the food or the drink it doesn't it doesn't meet the need anymore it's no longer enough so it's harder to go to God at that point especially if we feel the shame well, I, I really took these, this brokenness to another level. One of the things I do for comfort and joy is Thursday night when I'm facing Friday. You know, it's another last day of school. This is going to be really rough. As I, I really do love to listen to good music on Thursday evenings. Um, I, I like the Hillsongs type of music, uh, good sacred music like that. And it helps me to take my, my mind off of my problems and then to refocus that. You know, what I'm doing, I'm really doing it for God and for his kingdom. And it gives me strength to make it through that last, that last portion. So, no, that doesn't let me down. I want you to walk away with this, with only hearing me say, well, you need to forget about it and turn to the Lord. Yes, that is true. But this is something that you need to wrestle with. Because not often are our burdens and pressures overcome instantaneously or in a short period of time. A lot of times it's deep-seated faith that needs to be changed, belief systems that need to be re-altered. What we believe about God needs to be changed, not just in our mind, but in our heart. Because these Israelites knew, they had a national faith in God. They knew of God, but it was that God said, hey, you've forgotten. 
that in the day-to-day life I am here. Not just in the big stuff. Not just all of a sudden when people get cancer. Not just when I have no other means left to turn to. I've been here all along. And that's, that's my call to you today. God's been there all along. He doesn't call you just to forget and move on. God hasn't forgotten the tears that you've, said, that you've shed with the burdens that you've worked through, the pains that you've faced. He hasn't forgotten that. But he is calling you back and saying, believe in me. Remember me. And we get to do that every week, which is, which is one of the things that I just absolutely love. We get to partake in communion together as a body. And so will you say with me uh, the communion prayer? Call to worship. Call to, call to communion. There it is. Call to communion. Will you say this with me? This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Because it's the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Will you worship with us and go partake?